When I was a young child, I had severe bouts with asthma. Asthma, it was a foe that relentlessly pursued me. Each breath I took at times required supreme effort. As a child, my parents told me that in many, I spent many nights under the fluorescent lights of the hospital undergoing breathing treatments because at that time there were no such thing as nebulizers you could take home. My parents were constantly checking to hear if I was wheezing. I was constantly trying to hide my wheezing from them so I could play sports. But I'll tell you this, when every breath takes effort, all you can think about is breathing. When you can't breathe, that's what you think about, breathing. You're afraid maybe that you'll never breathe normally again. Maybe you worry about the next attack. Maybe you daydream about what it would be like to be rid of this foe forever. Maybe you look around and say, man, you guys don't even know what it's like to breathe. You're just breathing, not even thinking about it. But when you can't breathe, all you can think about is breathing. Except now, because you're all thinking about breathing. Now, I haven't had an asthma attack in two decades, so I'm not thinking about breathing this morning. Today, we're going to talk about a subject. We're going to let Scripture address us on something kind of like breathing, something you don't pay much attention to unless things are going wrong, something you take for granted, something you don't even notice until it's gone, and that's unity. That's local church unity. Local church unity is not something we typically think about unless we don't have it. We're going to think about that for a few weeks. Now, why talk about unity? It's not as if I believe that there are factions going on in the church and I'm trying to address anybody through the back door. Not at all. Here's why. We're living in a time in our country where our culture is more divided, more divided than ever, at least in my lifetime. There's a palpable sense of division out there. It's everywhere we go. And if we're not careful, it can sneak in here. And by sneaking in here, I don't mean in this building, I mean in us. We have to be on guard and so careful. Unity is precious, more precious than we can imagine. But it's also fleeting. And so what we're going to do is think together about how to stay united in a divided world. We're going to think about how to stay united in a divided world. And here's the idea. We each, individually, you and I, must take responsibility to stay unified. We each, all of us, you and I, together, must each take responsibility to stay unified. And I get that from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. If you have your Bible, you can look down as I read. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord... 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Lord, how we need you, Lord. Sometimes we realize this, but if I'm honest, most of the time I don't. I know I need you now, and I know we all do, Lord. I pray that as we open your word, this would not be a mere academic exercise, but grab us, Lord, by your Spirit. Convince us from your word. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two thoughts this morning, the walk and the effort. The walk and the effort. Now, the walk we see in verse 1, you can get that right away. Paul says, I therefore as a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy. Now, walking is a very Jewish or Hebraic way of thinking about living. So when you see walk, he's not talking about He's not talking about how we walk down roads. It's how we live our life. Now, one of the problems with our English Bibles, even though they're a wonderful gift, is that the numbers get in the way. If you look at your Bible, you've got a big number four right next to I, therefore. And then if your Bible's like mine, you've got a subheading that says something like unity in the body of Christ. Now, Paul didn't write that subheading. And he also didn't say, you know what, I'm going to switch now to chapter 4. So I'm going to write four. That's not how that would happen. In fact, centuries after these letters were written, legend has it that a scholar riding on the back of a donkey um, made the chapter and verse divisions. Uh, And sometimes you can tell when he was on a donkey and it probably was raining because he did a bad job. And other times it makes sense. Here it kind of makes sense, but you lose the flow. You lose the flow. Like we're used to thinking in terms of chapters. And so if you're reading through the Bible in a year and you get to chapter 3, you read to the end of chapter 3 and it's over and now you go to work or whatever. Chapter 4 is for tomorrow. But this is a letter that flowed. And so I want you, this is one of the first times, this is probably the only time I'll ever say this. Don't look at your Bible. Look at the screen behind me and we're going to see how it might have flowed for the original hearer. I'm going to start down in verse 14, which is the ending prayer that Paul offers, that he says he prays for these Ephesians in verses, verse 14 and following. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to his power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I therefore, 
a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. You see what he did? He prays that the church here would recognize the supreme privilege it is to experience and know the all-surpassing love of Christ. He prays that they would begin to understand that love and be filled with the very fullness of God. And only God can do this by the power of His Spirit. He can do this and greater things than we can even imagine or conceive of. And so to Him be the glory in the church throughout all generations forever and ever. And then he shifts gears and says, walk worthy of that calling. In other words, because God is gracious and abounding in steadfast love and mercy, he sent his only son to die as a substitute for treasonous rebels so that they might be able to be made right in his eyes. This he did on his own initiative to provide a way of salvation, to call sinners to himself. He did this on his own. <clears throat> and the collection of saved people from generation to generation to generation, both dead and alive, is the church. And then on earth still today, there are millions and millions of particular or specific, or as we say oftentimes, local churches made up of people called out by God. So he says, because you've been called, live like a Christian. Live like your calling dictates. He's called us out of a life of sin and called us to himself. How are we to respond? By following him. Our Lord has called us his property. So therefore, every bit and portion of our lives belong to him. He's saying, act. God's, he's saying, God's called you Act like God has called you. He's saying, be a Christian. Now, if I'm going to go, okay, if I'm going to apply that message, so that's what Paul's doing here. He's taking theology, this high theology that you can see at the end of chapter 3. If I'm going to say, okay, now live like a Christian, what would you think is the first thing that, you're gonna, that, that you would talk about? I might talk about prayer, because Christians pray, but that's not what Paul does. I might talk about Bible reading, because Christians are to read their Bible but that's not what Paul does. Maybe worshiping, that's not what Paul does. Confessing sin, nope. Evangelism, nope. Morality, nope. Ethical demands, nope. What? Unity. The first thing he talks about is unity amongst his people. Unity amongst his people. He says, be unified. Look at verse 3. E be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know what? I don't often think of unity that way. I think if there's something urgent for me to do, it's praying, reading my Bible, being generous, being kind. Paul says, listen, Here's what you need to do, and here's how you need to think. You need to be unified together. You need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Eager is a little weak here. When I see eager, it's almost, it seems too passive. 
I get the idea of like standing on the sidelines and saying, hey coach, I'm ready, I'm eager, I'm ready, all you need to do is put me in the game and I'll be ready to go, I'll be raring to go, but I'm standing here waiting, ready to go. That's what eager means to me, but that's not the idea. The idea is different than that. The idea is this. He's saying, you're already in the game. Make every effort to build unity one with another. Make every effort to stay unified with your brothers and sisters. In fact, make strenuous efforts to maintain unity. It's that precious. It's that important. And it's worth fighting for. Which leads us from the walk to the effort. Now, let's not kid ourselves. Maintaining unity with people different than ourselves is hard. It's just, it's hard. Some of us are married, some of us aren't. Some of us older, some of us younger. We have different life experiences. We have different educational backgrounds. We have different fears and different hopes. We have different opinions and different interests. We have different levels of expertise. Some of us have a reputation in the community, some of us don't. Some of us may be well-known and well-liked, and some of us aren't. In a word, we're all different. We're different. Now, in our culture, people rally around what makes them, what their, their common interests and identities. But this is where the church differs. You see, what's most common about us is not where we live, even though we all live in a similar area. It's who we serve, and his name is Jesus. We are bound together because Jesus has done this work. See, here is the substance of our unity. You can see this in verse 4. We are part of one body, one bound by one Holy Spirit, with one eternal hope, one all-powerful Lord, one common faith in baptism, and one united to Christ under one God and Father of all. That's the unity we're called to maintain here at Center Church. How? How? Verse 2. How do we maintain the unity of the Spirit? Through or with all humility and gentleness. Patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, those qualities don't sound like they need much strength. They sound kind of soft. Maybe I'm just the only one, but they sound a little soft. Humility, gentleness, patience. Forbearance. Do you see? Do you see kind of the juxtaposition here? Paul is saying. Paul is saying, make a strenuous effort to be united to your brothers and sisters in your church. And then he uses these words, which seem to be soft and frilly and embroidered with all kinds of different colors and not strong. That's where we're wrong. It takes strength to exhibit humility. Why? Because it's not natural for us to consider ourselves more important than ourselves. It goes against all of our natural inclinations. 
It takes strength to make ourselves concerned about the welfare of other people. Think about just waking up in the morning. When I wake up in the morning, I, the, my first thought is not, wow, I wonder how so-and-so is doing today. My first thought is, oh my gosh, my knee hurts. Or, what's in my throat? Or, why is it so hot? Not, I wonder how my wife's doing. That's, it takes strength to put other, people, other people's interests before ourselves. That takes strength. That takes, that takes purpose. That takes strenuous effort because it's not natural. It's also not natural to be gentle. The strong are the ones who can be gentle. The ones who are strong and robust, who have the strength to barrel through people when they don't and instead are gentle. That takes strength. Humility, gentleness, patience. Patience. Hold back, to not lash out, to be committed to forgive. Wow, that, that is not normal. But that's what the strenuous effort of church unity is made of. People who think of others more important than themselves. People who are gentle with their actions and their words toward other, others. People who are patient. People who forbear. You see, that word forbear is a good word because it recognizes that it's not... Listen, Paul's not saying, hey, pretend like you can't see all the weaknesses of the people around you. No, he's saying, hey, there are weaknesses everywhere. We all have them. And I know part of the strenuous effort to keep and preserve the, ma- ma- the, the unity of any church is that when you see those weaknesses, you bear with one another in love. You bear with one another in love. One of the most united places, see in my mind, unity and peace go hand in hand. One of the most uniting experiences I've ever had in my life was when I watched my three-year-old play t-ball. You might think that's the strangest thing I ever heard. Hold on here with me. Because everybody there, and everybody was there. We had grandparents and aunts and uncles. and I mean, there were way more people watching than there were kids on the field. And the kids had no idea what they were doing. Most of them didn't know which hand to put the glove on, but people thought that was funny. Many times they would put their helmet, their batting helmets on backwards so they couldn't see. And that was hilarious. The catcher's gear was massive for these little kids. They didn't make little kid catcher's gear at the time. They probably do now. They would swing the bat and fall over. They would run to third instead of first. They would make mounds of dirt in the outfield. And everybody thought it was hilarious. Why? Because they went in recognizing, hey, listen, I'm going to be patient 
and forbearing and gentle to these kids because they don't know what they're doing. This is not how we act toward the Diamondbacks. But this is how we act toward children with T-ball, right? It was one, one of the reasons it was mostly, the most uniting experience to me is that there was a complete lack of rancor. That came when they were eight or nine. There was a complete lack of rancor. There was a complete lack of yelling and screaming. Everybody was on the same page. Hey, let's just have fun and enjoy. Church, a local church, I think, is meant to be a little bit like that t-ball game. Where we exhibit humility to one another even when we don't feel like it, especially when we don't feel like it. We're gentle to people who we could lash out at. We're patient. We're forbearing. Listen, people have to be humble, gentle, patient, and forbearing with all, with all of us, with you included. This is a responsibility for everyone. You see, what unites us is that we're fixed on Jesus. That's our uniting principle. That's our uniting factor. That's the reason we exist. This is why we're here. All of us in this room, if you're a Christian, have been called out by God. All of us in this room have had a prior experience with God where he interrupted your life and said, now you're mine. Paul says, live like it. And so the uniting factor for us is not politics or masks or schooling philosophies or government philosophy or whether we inoculate or taxes or the right to bear arms or COVID responses. Our uniting factor is Jesus. And this we must remember. This we must not forget. But make no mistake, unity does not mean uniformity. That doesn't mean we all have to have the same opinions about everything. No way. That's boring. It doesn't also mean that we shouldn't talk about those opinions. That would be boring if we didn't. What it does mean is that we refuse to let secondary issues put a wedge between us and anybody else. That's what it means. And that's hard work. And if you watch Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or CNBC or all the other letters, you're not going to see it. You're not going to see it. But this, this is our call here. See, this is one of the things I think we as a church have an opportunity to do. It's go forward and be different. To be united. See, to be united doesn't think, we, we're not saying we don't have weaknesses. Rather, what we're saying is we're united around a perfect Savior who will one day call, him to us, to call us to himself. Everybody's in process. You know, reality is we're like three-year-olds. We really don't know what we're doing in life. And we take ourselves way too seriously. You know, when someone puts the batting helmet on backwards, instead of getting mad, maybe we smile and help them out. 
This is something that is a responsibility for all of us. Now, if you're here saying, okay, so my job now is to go around and police and enforce this humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance for the sake of unity. So if someone's not being humble to me, I'm going to call them out. No, you missed the point. That's not the point. The point is that you and me have a responsibility here individually to be humble toward others. Everywhere, but especially here. To be gentle toward others. Everywhere, but especially here. To be patient with others. Everywhere, but especially here. And to forbear with others. Everywhere, but especially here. And how are we supposed to do it? We're supposed to make every effort. We've been called out. He did all the work of salvation. He's put us together. Now our call is to make every effort. To be united. And to shine like a beacon in a world that's dividing and being torn apart. why we're fixed on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for our church. Lord, this picture, this portrait of unity is not something we can achieve on our own. We ask for help, Lord. I ask for help, Lord. I know that it's not natural for me to think more highly of other people than myself. I know it's not natural for me to be gentle patient, or forbear with other people's weaknesses. Lord, those things are unnatural, Lord. But I pray that you would help us to be a people who don't get tripped up by the unnaturalness of this, but I pray that we would see and ask for help because these are supernatural qualities that only you can give. And you have called us out, and so you have told us to go forward and be humble and gentle and patient and forbear. And I pray that we would do just that, that we would stay united. I pray that the that the rancor and the dissension and the trouble that so characterizes our world, this cultural moment right now, I pray in here, we would be, not just in here, not in the building, but as a church, we would be a shelter, a refuge, a place of peace, a place where people can come and exhale and be reminded there are people who love me and be reminded that there is a place where I can go and feel that level of protection. Lord, that's not going to happen unless we all take responsibility. I pray we would do just that. Oh God, please help us. Give us your strength to do that, Lord. And help us to be a light to the community. As we love each other and prefer each other, Lord, I pray that that would be a testimony to the people around us. And in Jesus' name we pray. For it's only by you and your power that we could ever do this. We pray. Amen.